Thank you, Brian. Good morning. You may be seated. Thanks for being here today. It is a wonderful weather outside. Uh, several people asked if we could have church outside. I would like that as well, but it's so distracting to me. I don't think I could focus. I like to look around when I'm outdoors, but it is a beautiful, beautiful day uh, to be outside. Well, let's get, uh, get right into our subject matter for the day. Uh, we've, we're going through a series called Explore God, and we've looked at a couple of big topics, uh, looking for meaning in life. Is there purpose in life? We also looked at one of the questions posed, how do we know that there is a God? And we've dealt with that as well. Last week, we began uh, a two-part series on why does God allow pain and suffering? And it was supposed to be one message, but but... There was so much information I was gaining and, and gleaning on as I was studying scriptures. I decided to make it two, and uh, I started to do a third week next week, but I said that's probably enough pain and suffering for right now. There is so much, though, as you study the text, as you study God's word, uh, it, it, on how to deal with pain and suffering and what to expect when pain and suffering comes and, and what we're supposed to do when it does arrive. But uh, to quickly review last week, in case you were not here, we looked at a few false doctrines about pain and suffering that we do need to be aware of. We, when we face pain and suffering, we don't want to fall victim to false doctrines, false teachings that are very common right now. I believe I have them on the screen, but um, some of them are the name it and claim it, uh, prosperity gospel, divine health and wealth. Uh, these basically have to do with a false idea. Again, the false teaching that once you are saved, God will give you divine health. He will give you divine wealth and he will make sure that everything goes perfectly smooth in your life. And that is not true. That is what we expect in heaven. And that's what the Bible says will come in heaven. Perfect health perfect everything, no sickness, no death, no tears, no sorrow. Uh, Everything is perfect. We're in the presence of God. We have been glorified in God's presence, given a perfect body in a perfect place. But this is not heaven. Uh, We also looked at this name it and claim it type thing that's very popular on TV, especially amongst televangelists. You often see them uh, attempting to tell people that they can command of God, you know, what they want. So you name it, you claim it, and God has to give you what you want. If you want to be healthy, wealthy, or prosper, whatever it is, you tell God and he has to do it because you're a child of God. We don't see that in scripture, okay? We are not God. We are his creation. God remains God and his ways are above our ways. And we'll look into that as well this morning. But so we looked at that. We also looked at is suffering a direct result of our individual personal sin? We looked at John 9 uh, about the uh, man that was born blind and his disciples and Jesus walked by and his disciples said to Jesus, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents? And uh, they gave Jesus uh, that option and Jesus said, neither. This man was born blind so that God may receive the glory and Jesus healed him on the spot. So the man personally, it wasn't his sin that caused the blindness, wasn't his parents' sin that caused the blindness, but it was God's sovereign will that this man be blind, but Jesus heals him and God receives the glory for it. So we don't want to go when we are suffering in pain and sorrow and suffering and tribulation and hardship, we don't want to fall into these categories. So we're looking at how to healthily deal with pain and suffering. And we go back to the Garden of Eden. So there we have the presence of God. God has provided everything for Adam and Eve to be completely joyful, to be completely at peace, to be content with everything. Everything has been provided for them. They're in the presence of God. And that, you might say, was heaven on earth, a version of it. All right. But there, even then, Adam and Eve chose sin. They, they chose to sin against God's command. And then sin enters into the world. And we saw back in Genesis 2, 17, where God even tells them, if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. So now we are on this side of sin. We are death rules. Death is in the universe. Death, death is in our bodies, right? It's everywhere around us. And so we see pain and suffering and it is connected to the sin that came into the world. Adam and Eve sinned. They represented us. Adam represented us. And now all sin has been passed on down. We are born sinners and we continue to sin. And the punishment for sin is death. So much of the pain and sorrow, we mainly dealt with this last week, does come from the process of physically aging, physically dying, or those around us that do die. There is much pain and suffering in that. But even Paul, as he faces death, he, uh, he trusts, it builds his trust more and more 
and the one who can raise us from the dead. So we looked at that last week, and we also looked at Acts 14.22. You don't have to turn there. I have this one on the screen for you. But, but in this passage, uh, Paul, here in, the, here in the book of Acts, he had just been stoned. Remember what they, called, what they thought was to death. He was preaching the gospel. The message was so offensive to those that were hearing that God has sent Jesus in the form of a man, that he is the God-man, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and whoever trusts in him shall be saved. This gospel he was proclaiming, it was so offensive to them that they picked up stones and tried to kill him. And they thought they did. They drug his body out of the city, wiped their hands, and thought they were done with Paul. But... Paul, his disciples come along and kind of help him out, his followers there, and and he's actually alive to everyone's astonishment. He recovers quickly, and they they take him to another city nearby where he preaches the gospel. He comes back to the very place he was stoned. It looks like just a few days later, and he meets with these brand new believers. And what is he going to tell them? How is he going to encourage them? What is he going to say? 1422 of Acts, Paul says he came back strengthening the souls of the disciples, these who had just been saved days earlier, encouraging them. How did he strengthen them? Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot in this passage, but I've kind of made this the emphasis passage for last week and this week that that these people have just been saved. Paul has just been virtually stoned to death. He goes away for a few days, comes back to encourage them. And what is he going to tell them? He says, hey, don't be surprised. Yes, I was stoned, but I'm not miserable. I'm not mad at God. He, instead, he warns them the very same thing may happen to you as well. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So he encourages them to continue in the faith no matter what tribulations come our way. And he warns, he doesn't say, hey, when tribulations come, you just name it and claim it, tell God what you want, and it's going to be done for you, the tribulation is going to be gone. Not at all. He says, continue in the faith no, no matter what, no matter what tribulation or problem or hardship, pain, suffering comes your way, let your course be steady. You're, you're focused on God. You're focused on Christ, who is our ultimate hope for everything in life. And that never changes. No matter what comes in our path, no matter what situation, what problem, what tribulation, expect them to come. They will come, but our direction is to continue in the faith. We looked at Paul's suffering, a uh, great, great person to look at because indeed he suffered much in his life. He was even warned the point of salvation. Uh, I will show you, you know, how much you must suffer for my name. And indeed he did suffer greatly for the name of Christ. But all this was God, of course, knew would happen. It did happen. Paul trusted in Christ no matter what. Second Corinthians twelve ten. he says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So not only did he, he see that these tribulations would come, but he understood that there was something about them, the problems, the, the, the tribulations, the, the pain, the suffering. If we looked at his ailments, you might say, the thorn in his flesh, that God would not remove. Uh, the times he was lashed across the back, that basically defleshing of his, his, his body. Uh, but yet somehow he looked at all that pain and suffering as something that pushed him closer to relying on God for his strength. And indeed, that's what we should do as well. So when these tribulations come, they all, all of us have these tribulations, the hardships that do come. Instead of only praying, you know, God, take this tribulation away, Paul says they're going to come. Uh, and you can certainly pray for them to go away, as he, he did, but he also prayed for strength to bear the load that he was given. And that should be our prayer as well. As we, we face pain, as we pay, face suffering, it's okay for, to pray for God to remove it, but we pray for the strength to carry the burden that he has given us. Well, let's move on into part two. That's basically a review of last week. And we're going to turn to the book of Job. Two great places to go to when we're studying pain and suffering. One is the life of Paul a life riddled with suffering for Christ, but yet he always had continued faith, steady faith, no matter what tribulation came his way, even in death. 
He was always just focused on Christ. And we're going to look at Job today. Another wonderful place to go to to see pain and suffering at its best, or you might say at its worst. And turn to chapter 1, if you don't mind. Job chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading at verse 7, probably read through verse 12, to kind of give us an idea of what is going on. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and on all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions that have increased in the land? But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So when Satan went out, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So what we have here is this, this scene that is taking place, this conversation uh, between God and Satan about one of the greatest people on earth. There's no one like him on earth. And Satan proceeds then, as we see in the following chapter, to remove everything from Job. His, his children are killed in this process. Uh, everything that he has is taken away, and he is left with absolutely nothing. He even says, naked I've come into this world, and naked I will depart. I have nothing, absolutely nothing. There is nothing he had. He went from being the richest man in the land, this huge family, until he's now by himself, and he has absolutely nothing, no possessions. And all of this is done... Uh, according to the will of God that we see here. Now, in case we're wondering again, did Job do something wrong to, you know, we might say deserve these things to happen? We go right back over here to Job chapter 1 again and look at verse 1. It says, Job, uh, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So again, we see this, it's not because of some immediate direct sin that all of these things are happening to him. There is no one like him. He's upright, he's blameless, he feared God, he turned away evil, yet all of this comes his direction. Uh, he did not curse God. In fact, everything was taken away from him, and Satan goes back to God and says, yes, I've taken everything away from him, his children are gone as well, he is miserable, but if I get to his body, if I can inflict physical pain on him if you allow that then he will curse you and god allows that to happen then so now job not only has nothing his children are gone as well but this immense pain is on his body and we read through the chapters and it appears that he's covered in boils just the nasty disgusting infection all over his whole body he is hurting there's no way to get relief of the pain that he is in and the next few chapters are just about this horrible time of pain and suffering. Even his own wife, who is still with him, she does not give any encouragement. She says, curse God and die. That is her exact quote. So not very encouraging on the wife's end here, all right? Also, he has three friends, and we we'll want to use quotations around that one as well also, because uh, they come around and they give him advice, but it's, it's horrible advice. It's not comforting at all. And it's just, so now he has the, the, his friends who are just, just hating on him and calling him a horrible sinner and just, and, and question, it's just this horrible thing where he has no one to turn to. He has nothing to his name. His children are gone. His body is riddled in pain. There's no support coming from his wife, no support coming from these people who are called friends. And he is in a miserable, miserable state of being. And you read through this. I read through the whole chapter of, uh, whole book of Job this week. It's just, it's just amazing. To You get to see into his mind. You get to see what he's thinking. And time and time again, though, he asks that question that we always wonder when we're in pain and when we're facing suffering, when we're facing hardship and tribulation. It is that question of why. 
You know, why is this happening to me? Why is God doing this to me? It's not right. And we, we start thinking things like, well, other people have it well, and I don't have it that well. Well, all these things come to our mind, and his mind begins to do the same thing. Why, 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 why? God, are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? I have not done anything against you, and why are you doing this to me? He understands that God is doing this to him, but he doesn't understand the why of it. And it troubles him. It bothers him. He doesn't curse God ever at this point. Satan never wins. Job is steadfast in his faith, but he continually hammers God with the question of why, why, why have you allowed this to happen? And he questions God's goodness, you might say, and God's justice in all that he does. So finally, we get to the end of this chapter. And it is pain. It is anguish. It is suffering. We get to the end of the book. Turn with me. I'm just kind of paraphrasing what's going on. But turn with me to Job chapter 38. These next few chapters are some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Job chapter 38. And these next uh, 38, 39, 40, 41 is, is God answering Job. And God does not show up and say, all right, Job, this is why these things happen. You see, uh, I was trying to get this to take place over here in the future. In order to get that to happen, I had to do this to you and, and this pain and this suffering and this child because of this reason and this and this. And the reason you have boils on your skin is because of this, 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 this. And then Job's allowed to connect all the dots logically, all right? As if God has given him all the, the pieces of the puzzle. He's given them the map to it. And now I can connect them all and see exactly what God was doing the whole time. That's not what happens at all. Believe it or not, nothing like that happens. Instead, God just shows up and begins to ask Job questions. And it establishes that God is God, man is man. And in the end, that answers Job's questions. Not the why, but the higher understanding of God. He trusts God. He understands God more and is, and is able to say, whatever is your will. So we see this here in verse in chapter 38. Let me read. I'm going to, the whole thing is great. I'm going to try to quickly read verse 1 through 21, though. Follow along with me in your own Bibles there. I'll try to read kind of fast. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you. And you make it known to me. So Job has been constantly uh, asking these questions of God. Why, why, why? And finally God speaks. Who is this that darkens my counsel without words, without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. So he begins. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When it, I made clouds its garment? And thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all of this." Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for who for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Now, it is it is question after question after question like this. For the next few chapters. And I don't know if you can tell. But uh, you can sense a bit of sarcasm in this tone. All right. It is you were there right. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth. He's basically saying are you God. That you can comprehend everything that's going on. You are man. I created you. And you're questioning me. God the creator of everything. He says where were you. How could you do this. You Can you do this. No. I'm God. You're man. This continues on chapter after chapter. Then flip over to job 42 
At the end of all this questioning, Job had to be braced like a man. I love that. It's like stand up, face your creator, Job. Here we go. All right, but after all this questioning, we turn to Job 42. And look at verse 5 and 6. After all this questioning, question after question after questioning after question, Job's realizing more and more and more that he is a man, that God is God. His ways are far above Job's mental mind to comprehend. But in verse 5 and 6, Job says this, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What happened? Job, Job cried out for answers to his suffering, and he never, ever received one single answer. But here at the end of this questioning, we look at verse 5 and 6, and he has totally changed. He's not asking God why. Instead, he's repenting. So, so what happened? Well, Job explains it here in a way that's a little bit harder for us to understand. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. It's an intimacy that has increased, a further knowledge of who God is. He was a believer, as we see here from Job chapter 1, who sought after God, was blameless, was righteous, uh, put away sin. But now there's a deeper understanding of who God is. And because his understanding of God has increased, he now repents of questioning God's goodness and questioning God's justice. And he turns away and repents. He, he turns from that and repents of it in dust and ashes. In that time and day, that was the ultimate way to show your repentance. You literally put dust from a fire, ashes on top of you to cover yourself in soot and dirt to a, a visual for others to see that you were truly repenting, uh, extremely humbling. All right. So this is what takes place here. Job never got the answer that he was searching for, but God reveals himself and this increased understanding of who God is allows, think of all the suffering. He had lost all of his children. He lost every possession. His body was riddled in pain. And yet after realizing who God is, he repents of questioning God. And there is nothing here about now you will receive all your health back. Job has not promised that right then. But it's just this increased understanding of who God is. And he repents amazing all right he was able to deal with all of this pain and suffering asking god why but then when he understands more of who god is he understands god is in control of everything everything and if it's god's will for me to go through this then i will go through it that's amazing contentment and that's what we find here at the end of the book of job uh did job learn of the reason for his pain and suffering uh, if you know much about the story, if you've read the book, uh, he never does. He never does. He never gets to he never gets to know why he went through this. The dots are never connected. Like I said, again, it's never put out there for him and say, Joe, but here it is. This is why. And this because this and this because this. There you go. And Joe goes, aha. OK, now I got it. Now I understand. Thanks, God, for sharing that with me. Never, ever happens. Uh, you may never know the why of your pain either. Uh, we many times it is a mystery. I would say most times it is a complete mystery to our minds of why we are going through what we are going through. And oftentimes we try to connect the dots. We kind of act like Job did. Why, 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 why? We want to know why when God is saying I'm in control of everything. Uh, you were told many times tribulations, trials are going to come your way. Persecutions, hardships are going to come your way. You know, read the examples, uh, read the doctrine of the Bible. We know they are going to come our way. We're not called upon to ask why, 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 and let that drive our faith into the ground. But we accept what comes our way. And that's what was happening to Job here. Uh, does pain and suffering mature the believer? Think about that question for a moment. Does pain and suffering mature the believer, I believe we would all immediately want to answer yes, and it, it certainly can. We see that it does happen here with Job, and we see that it certainly happens with Paul as well. But it is not automatic, and that's something we have to get our mind around. Just because we are going through pain, tribulation, suffering, hardships, are we automatically going to come out the other end a more mature believer? If you've lived long enough, you know that that's not the case. Oftentimes, the exact situation can happen to two different people, two different believers. And one, their trust in God increases. 
and, and they end up more like Job over here. They go through all this and they come out stronger than they ever were before. And then you see other believers who go through the exact same thing and their faith shrinks down and they stop coming to church. They stop reading about it. They stop trusting in God and they shrivel up. Not that they will lose their salvation if they were saved, but there is not this pushing forward, right? So, so we have to understand that pain and suffering can mature the believer. It should mature the believer, but it is not automatic. We want our understanding of God and who He is, to, even in pain, even in suffering, to constantly trust in who He is and not, and not doubt Him and what He's given us to in this life. Um, let me see here. Uh, did suffering mature Job? Yes. He loved and, God, loved and obeyed God in the beginning there. We saw that. But he also had a very easy-going life. Once the pain and suffering began, he was extremely confused and wanted to know the why of the matter. But after God showed up, he was content to trust God uh, in this season of his life and knowing that whatever was happening to him, it was all in the plan of God. And that's the trust that we seek as well. Um, it is not the amount of pain that causes some to stand and others to fall. Try to remember that as well. Um, it is not the amount of pain that causes some to stand and others to fall in tribulations, but it is the amount of trust in God. How much do we trust God? Do we trust God only on the good days, only on the good weather days when the birds are chirping outside as I hear from the door open? Is, everything is beautiful. Everything seems great right now. Do we, do we only trust God on the good days or do we, do we trust Him in the pain and the suffering? and uh, everything that we're facing in life. Uh, why do we have pain and suffering? This is a great question, and this is what we've tried to deal with some last week and some this week. And honestly, there is no quick, easy, simple answer. Uh, Job never received the quick, easy, simple answer, right? He did not even have Job chapter 1 to go back and refresh his memory on why he was facing what he was facing. That was later. So he doesn't even have this dialogue that went on between God and between Satan. All right, He doesn't even have that. So Job never understood the exact why of his pain and his suffering. And truthfully, we may not ever know the exact reason for our afflictions as well. But we can rest assured, this is, this is comforting, that God knows. Nothing has come our way that cannot go through, that has not gone through God. This is highly important to understand. Satan is not equal to God. We find this in Job, and, and where Satan can, can attack us at will and do anything he wants to, or, or then God comes along and tries to fix what Satan has done to us. It's not that way at all. But as a believer, nothing gets to us, as we see over here with Job, without the permission of God. So no pain, no suffering, no agony, no hardship, no tribu tribulation comes our way except what has been allowed or permitted by God. And this, is, this is, can cause extreme rest. And this is where you see Job resting at the end of the book. This is where you see Paul uh, in his life as he writes on pain and suffering that, hey, no matter what comes my way, it is the sovereign will of God. I know tribulations come. I will continue in my faith no matter what comes because his hope was constantly on Christ. His hope was constantly in heaven. As that's where his citizenship was, and that's where our citizenship is as well. So we're on this earth. We're here for a temporary time, and we know that pain and suffering are going to come. Um, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, and this other verse I'll have on the screen, Deuteronomy 29, 29, are great passages just to keep in mind as we study some difficult topic here like pain and suffering. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What is God saying here? I am God. You are man. Basically the same thing here toward the end of Job, right? He is saying, you, you don't know everything. Only God knows everything. God knows all, but we have this limited little bit of gray matter on the top of our shoulders. And there's no way that our finite minds can comprehend the infinite, the infinite, right? So that's what God is saying here. You, you, you have thoughts. I understand you have thoughts, and, and we do want to know the reason for everything, but we can't. 
We get to the end of our gray matter. We get to the end of our brain. And we don't know the reasons why every single thing happens. Yet, we can trust in God that his ways and what happens are higher than ours. And we as a believer trust in God's goodness on this. Verse 29 uh, of Deuteronomy chapter 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. It would be extremely nice if every hardship, uh, there was some kind of ratio where we knew if we received this hardship, this tribulation, this pain, then this was the exact payoff that we would receive in our spiritual maturity. But, but this is not the case. Uh, there is this, this mystery, right? There's this, this things that are coming our way. God is in control of. He is in charge of. And we must continually trust in him no matter what we're facing in life. Um, in dealing with pain and suffering, there is a right way and a wrong way to deal with it. And for the last part of this message, we're just going to focus on a little bit of that. If you would like to make notes on this, feel free to. I believe I have a copy of it for everybody at the, during the time of discipleship as well. If you want to uh, have this on standby uh, as you face times of trial and tribulations, as Paul warns us that we will. All right. We are warned that we will have tribulations in this life. Hopefully, not to the extent of Paul and not to the extent of Job, but they will come. So how should we deal with the pain and suffering? Here are some don'ts when facing pain and suffering. All right. Number one, don't dwell in the past thinking, if only I would have. This is important. We cannot change the past. And if we constantly allow our minds to go back and constantly think, if only I would have done this, if only I could have changed this, uh, it's, it's a mental and spiritual trap. It's an extreme downer because the past is set. It, it's unalterable. We cannot go back there and fix anything and make anything different. So it, so it zaps us of our energy. It zaps us of spiritual maturity of moving forward because the past is done. It's set, and not only is it set, but it was already set in the mind of God, before it even happened. So looking at scriptures, we can understand that whatever happened, it has happened uh, according to the will of God. Uh, God tells David, David is understanding that every day was written about him before one of them came to pass. The suffering that Paul went through. God told Ananias, uh, let Paul know well, we assume, that all this suffering would take place. God knows it is coming. He knows of everything that is going to happen. So don't dwell in the past. This is a, a bad mental trap. Thinking, if only I would have. We can't change it. All right, moving on. Don't change your mind about who God is. The theological term for this is called deicide. It's actually killing of God. When we remove the attributes of God himself to make him more like what we think he is. This often happens, not on good days where the birds are chirping, but it happens on the bad days. When we're depressed, when we're down, when we're sad, when we're mad, when bad times are coming our way, we sometimes will think thoughts like this. Uh, God did not know. All right. Maybe he didn't know this was going to happen to me. This is not true. Uh, the Bible reveals that God is omniscient, omniscience, all knowing. David covered this a couple of weeks ago for us during our time of discipleship. God knows all things. Uh, also, we find many people will have this this statement when they're going through something bad. Maybe God was not powerful enough to stop this from happening. That is not the situation at all. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. So it's not that he had no power to stop it, but he has allowed it for reasons unknown to us most of the time. Nothing gets through to us as believers except by the permission of God. Uh, see, some people would say during times of trouble, tribulation, that God is evil. Absolutely not. God is holy but his ways are above our ways. If you look at the life of Joseph, if we had another uh, week to do pain and suffering, I'd probably go there. Because you, you find a young man who is, who is thrown into a dry well by his brothers. He is hated so much by them. They sell him into slavery and just pain and suffering. He's abandoned by his family. He's sold as a slave. He, he has false accusations. He's imprisoned falsely. Just bad thing after bad thing. But finally, his, he is able to save Israel. 
He's able to save all of Egypt. And we see God's sovereign plan played out in his lifetime where he is able to save his brothers, to save his father. And his brothers come before him. They realize who he is now as the head of all of Egypt. He says, and they're so scared that he's going to put them to death. And he says, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. And, And you see this working out there. What looked like evil from our side in the human perspective, they were guilty of it. But God was using it to bring about the ultimate good of not only Joseph, but the entire nation of Israel, right? So we, we see that example there. So God is not evil. He is absolutely holy. Number three, don't compare your pain and suffering to others. It does no good at all to compare when you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering, to ask those questions of, you know, why, guys, is this happening to me? And, and Joe or Jim or Sue or whoever over here has things so easy and things are going good for them. And we begin to, to kind of compare our pain to others. It does no good at all. In fact, it's a form of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. It's a form of coveting. Not that you're coveting an item, but you're covering the other person's life that God is giving them at that time. And not understanding that God has given you this right now. So to be content with what God has given you and continue to trust in him. So we uh, don't need to compare our pain and suffering to others. Uh, There's not an exact quota of pain that God is going to give everyone the same amount of. Pain and suffering are universal in this lifetime, but they are not to the same degree for all people. Keep that in mind. Number four, don't spend much time on the why question. I would highlight this, circle this when you get your copies in a minute or if you're making notes, because it is such a mental drain, a spiritual drain as well. It is not our position. And that's what Job finally realized at the end, to constantly berate God with the why question. That question leads to further despair. Instead, we are just to take rest, as Paul did, as Job did, as Joseph did as well, and understand that we can trust God. And all things are working out for the good of those who love the Lord. We're not called on to know the why, but we are commanded to continue to grow, continue to seek God, continue to run the race, even times of hardship. Number five, don't try to deny that the pain and suffering is real. It is totally okay to grieve. We do not want to live in a fantasy world. Uh, we, all, we, we want to understand that, that pain is real. Uh, It is okay to grieve. Jesus even wept, right, when Lazarus died. However, for a believer, the the pain and suffering should hurt a lot less versus a non-believer because we know that our hope is in God, the maker, the, the one who has spoken and created the stars, who created the moon, who created the earth. The one who has created everything is your God. That's, that blows my mind sometimes, that this God is your God. And he has rescued you through Jesus Christ. And, and that you can trust in knowing that you are his. So we don't want to deny that the pain and suffering we're having is real. But we also want to see the big story. That this life is temporary, eternity is forever, and that we will be with God in heaven forever. So don't try to deny the pain and suffering is real, is okay to mourn, is okay to grieve, and uh, it's, it's all right. We don't want to continually over-grieve, but we do, it's totally fine to grieve. Number six, don't forget that God loves you. When you are facing pain, when you're facing suffering, when you're facing tribulation, trials, whatever is coming your way, and you feel completely abandoned and you feel like God is somehow unaware that you are there, I'm sure Job thought the same thing, right? He's lost his whole family. He's lost every single possession. His body is riddled in pain. He's covered in boils. His friends are throwing stones at him, basically. His wife says, curse God and die. There's no one there. He doesn't feel that God's presence is there at all. There is nothing. He's completely miserable. But yet we know that God loves us. How do we know this? Because he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. He all believers. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He takes the pain. He takes our hell for us. This is love. So no matter what we're going through in this life, let us always remember that God loves us. All right, so to quickly review those, uh, don't dwell on the past thinking, if only I would have. Don't change your mind about who God is. Number three, don't compare your pain and suffering to others. 
Don't spend much time on the why question. Number five, don't try to deny that pain and suffering is real. And six, don't forget that God loves you. All right, let's move on to how to rightly face pain and suffering. What should we do? So we looked at a few don'ts. Do not do this when we're facing pain, suffering, tribulation, hardship, whatever it may be that's come our way. But here's what we should do. Okay, we pray. Uh, We pray for strength. It is totally fine to pray for our tribulation to depart you know, God, hey, I'm inflicted with this pain, this ailment, this situation, and, and I've, you know my desire, you know my wishes. I pray that it would go away, but at the same time, it, it may not be the will of God for that to go away. So we pray for strength also to face what God has allowed to come our way. We find this in Second Corinthians chapter 8 through 10. I'll read this one for you. Three times, Paul says, he pleaded with the Lord about this, that thorn in the flesh. We don't exactly know what it was, but it was painful that it should leave him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the quote from God that he gives to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is beautiful. So so Paul prays. He's going through this time. God, please remove this. God says, no, it's my will for it to remain. My grace is sufficient for you. Rest in who you are in me. You're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. This is my will for you at this time. But rest in who you are in me. Your sins have been forgiven. You're a child of God. Eternity is is, is days away, right? When we look at our life compared to eternity, rest in who you are. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, So we pray. Uh, we pray, we talk to God. Uh, one of the, the Psalms are riddled with great prayers, prayers as seeking God's forgiveness, prayers seeking uh, strength, prayers, prayers calling out to God in times of need. We see this in Psalm 61. Hear me, hear my cry, David says. Oh God, listen to my prayer. You sense the uh, desperation in his voice. He says, from the end of the earth, I call to you and my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. So here we see a desperate prayer. And many times our prayers are desperate. When you're in pain, when you're in suffering, you you don't know exactly what to say, but you just call out to God. Here it felt like David was at the end of the earth shouting to God. Just, just God, wherever you're at, hear this prayer of mine. And sometimes that's the way it is when we are in pain and suffering. But look, he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Strengthen me. Give me fortify me again, God. Let me have strength again. Uh, protect me with your wings. Shelter me. Beautiful, as, as David cries out during this time of agony. Uh, number two, two, let's move on. So we pray during our time of pain and suffering. Pray for strength, and it's okay to pray for something to depart, but understand that it may be that it is not God's will for it to depart, so we pray for strength. Number two, we trust in God, not just for the result that we want, but we trust in who he is, as Job learned to do at the end. Job never received his answers of why, but his trust in God increased. He trusted that God was in control of all things and that God is good. Romans eight twenty eight, a great verse to always look at during times of tribulation and trial. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we trust in God at all times, knowing there are no accidents that truly happen to us. Think about that for a moment. Nothing in your life has happened by accident, that there are only purpose dents. All right. In the mind of God, there's no accident. God doesn't. Oh, didn't see that one coming. Sorry. You know, I didn't know it was coming your way. No, it's, it's all in the mind of God. It's all in his sovereign will. So we can rest in that. So we trust God. Uh, number three, confess and repent. 
Certainly not all tribulation is from a specific sin, but there are examples in the Bible where we see that does happen. Uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, we see that she was inflicted with, with leprosy because of the sin she committed. So it is okay when you're facing through things to confess any un, unconfessed sin, repent of anything that's in your life. It's, it's totally fine to do that. And uh, we should do that daily, but when we're going through pain, going through suffering, it's uh, definitely a good time to confess anything that might be in our life. Uh, number four, stay in church. Many Christians in the middle of a crisis stop attending church. And I have in my notes here, I said, what in the world, right? Uh, the, the place you need to be the most is where you're sitting right now. Uh, not on the good, good days, it's easy to come to church on the good days, but you need to be in church on the bad days. I have, and if you live long enough, perhaps you will as well, been at such bad state uh, a time in my life where I, could not even, I couldn't even read the Word of God, a fully depressed state where I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even read a sentence of it myself. In my prayers, I would try to pray, and I, I couldn't even muster sentences together to talk to God. But what I could do is, is get my physical body in a car, and I, I would sit in a church, right? And I would hear the Word of God preached, and I would hear it taught. And I'd be around other believers, and there's strength as we, we gather strength from each other. It's part of being in the body of Christ. And that when we're in pain, when we're in suffering, the worst thing that we could do is to isolate ourselves away from the body of Christ. Instead, we go where there's healing. We go where we, we focus on God through worship, where we hear his word, where we draw strength from our fellow brothers, right? So this is the place we go to. So when we're going through pain and suffering, uh, we stay in church. Oftentimes, you reach a point when you're suffering where you can't feed yourself. It is difficult to read God's word. It, maybe it's difficult to pray, and you need to go where you can be fed. And this is what we do here at the church. We, we feed, we equip the saints with the word of God. We worship God. Uh, number five, stay connected to mature believers. Don't isolate. Uh, I kind of covered that in the last one, but, but one of the things that we often do during pain and suffering is we isolate ourselves away. And, and, and that's a horrible thing because if you're having bad thoughts about your situation, bad thoughts about who God is and, and wrong thoughts and maybe even thinking the wrong thoughts of God and then you isolate yourself away from all believers, those thoughts just compound and you see your, your spiritual life instead of thriving and pushing forward, withdrawing and weaker and weaker and weaker. Also, uh, stay connected to mature believers. I put that there because many times there will be people who come into our life like those friends of Job who spoke things to him in his time of pain and suffering, but they were not mature believers. They were saying the wrong things to him. That's not what you want. Okay. So when you're going through stuff, uh, stay connected to mature believers. If you're 17 years old, you're going through something bad. Odds are you don't want to go to other 17-year-olds to get, get strength and advice on how to deal with this situation. In fact, it might be your grandma, your grandpa, your mom, your dad, someone at the church that's older been through that a hundred times that can give you more advice. Seek mature believers, okay? Number six, realize that you are a human and God is God. This point is what made Job rest even repent in ashes and sackcloth because he now understood that God is God. He is a man. God's ways are above his ways. Number seven, realize that all pain and suffering are temporary. It does not. It will not last forever. Number eight, remember that this is not your eternal home, nor is it anyone else's. Uh, Philippians three twenty through 21 says this of us believers, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. So remember that our citizenship is in heaven. That is our eternal home. Lastly on this, I have always face your hardship through the lens of the hope we have because of Christ. Always face your hardship through the lens of the hope we have because of Christ. Almost like literally putting on glasses, okay, through the lens. Like we're seeing our problems. We're focusing on our problem. It seems unbearable. It seems horrible. But then we pick up our lenses. We put on the glasses, the hope we have in Christ. 
that no matter what comes our way, the hope that we have in the gospel, that Christ has died for our sins, we are his, we are loved by God, we have eternal home in heaven, and we see through this lens, and it changes everything. Last passage, I just want to read this uh, with you. If you don't mind, turn there. It takes a little while to turn there. Small book, but 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. This is the surety we have in our salvation that those who trust in Him will also rise from the dead. So even death we do not fear. Uh, Verse 4, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you so this is ours we are citizens of heaven where there is no pain there is no sorrow there is no death it is imperishable that we are guaranteed that we are on our way there nothing can separate us from it verse 5 who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time So God guards our salvation. We will never be lost. So we rest in this. No matter what happens on earth, Paul was about to die multiple times, and he he still trusted God because he knew even in death, it's not that big of a deal. I immediately go to be with God. In fact, he said it's a gain. It's better than life. Number six. Oh, sorry. Verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Again, agony is temporary. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the testing... Uh, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see this? This is the lens that we see through as we face trials and tribulations. We go back and we look at this. Read something like this and you understand, wow, this is how I should see my pain. This is how I should see the suffering, the tribulation that I'm going through. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to deal with a very difficult subject today. Pain and suffering, something that we all face, but most of us are ill-equipped to deal with. Uh, I know it's standing here today as an adult. I I look back and can't remember a message I've ever heard on something like this. God, I pray that these thoughts will be put into our mind. May we understand how not to deal with pain and suffering, but how to deal with the pain and suffering. When things come our way, the tribulations, the trials, may our faith not shrivel, but may we continue in the faith. May we grow stronger. May our trust in you increase. And may we rest in who you are. May we understand that no matter what comes our way, it's not by accident. Satan didn't win the battle, but that it's by your permission. And that you have reasons for everything that comes our way. But may we always rest in the fact that all things work together for the good of those who love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship him. Thank you.